Hey everybody, this is Sean, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. We have a special treat for you guys today, as we'll be interviewing two UF alumni, Dr. Shannon Miller and her father. I am your father. Dr. Roger Accardi. They will be talking about their experiences and their respective careers, and will touch upon the future outlook of pharmacy practice. Dr. Roger Accardi is the president of Accardi Clinical Services, an independent clinical practice. Dr. Shannon Miller is a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist and is an associate director and clinical associate professor at the UF College of Pharmacy. Without further ado, please welcome Dr. Cardi and Dr. Miller, who will be interviewed by Riley. All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. This is Riley, and I'm here with one of our faculty members, Dr. Miller, um, and her father, who is also a pharmacist, Dr. Accardi. So if you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves. Hello, Riley. Thank you so much for inviting us to the podcast today. We're very excited. I get to spend some time with you and spend some time with my dad at the same time, so very excited. Um, My name is Shannon Miller. I am a fourth-generation pharmacist, currently a faculty member at the University of Florida at the Orlando campus, and I also work for Advent Health in Winter Park a couple of days a week in the geriatric clinic. Hi, my name is Roger Riccardi. Um, I am, like my daughter, a University of Florida graduate, uh, actually twice, and uh, I have an independent practice in Central Florida, and uh, my greatest achievement is the fourth generation pharmacist (laughs) that just finished speaking. So we're very lucky to have you guys with us today. Um, We have a lot of experience from the both of you in terms of independent pharmacy and ambulatory care. Um, And we just kind of want to ask you guys some questions today to see what you think about the careers that you've had and where pharmacy is going um, and just get some of those clinical pearls from you both. Um, The first question that we wanted to start with was just in terms of the evolving community pharmacy environment that we see today, what do you think you would say are the most important factors in keeping your business successful and patient-centered? And either of you can answer. Uh, predominantly, as with any retail setting, be it uh, in healthcare or um, uh, in virtually any other form, you have to have you have to maintain cash flow. And with the with the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers, assuming the position that they have, with no way to curtail whatever they do, they pose the biggest risk in your cash flow. The pharmacy benefit managers can actually define what your profitability on a prescription will be. They can define and direct where patients will be, what pharmacy they'll be using for their uh for their healthcare needs. They can cherry pick and keep the most profitable patients for themselves and direct them to the pharmacy outlet that best suits them and the company to which they are working for. They can define the DIR reimbursements, which is, to my mind, illegal where they uh, retrospectively reach back and grab whatever percentage they want to take, and it's not contestable. So the predominant overall risk to retail pharmacy is the presence of the pharmacy benefits manager. 
there is no one above them that can uh, arbitrate between the pharmacy and the insurance company um, as to the conclusions drawn by the PBM. So presently, they pose the largest risk. I will say that there is legislation that's proposed right here in Florida and in several other states. There's even uh, a case that's being brought before the Supreme Court from Arkansas with um, multiple um, um, points, such as telling the in independent, and actually it's all retail pharmacies, but telling the, the, the community pharmacist uh, what they're going to pay in contrast to what it actually costs. Uh, as it sits right now, there is no arbitration board. It is not unusual for me to have a prescription that nets out my cost at $100, say, and they, they the, the um, pharmacy benefit manager, comes back and says, well, that $100 prescription should, in fact, have only cost you 80 And we ask the question, where is it at $80? Their response today is, that's not our issue, that's yours. The legislation that's being put to address that is, uh, is you have to tell them where you're getting it from, which helps legitimize your conclusion that it is available at that $80 figure, uh, and that um, they would have access to getting that within a reasonable amount of time, so as not to put the patient's uh, flow of medication at risk. Uh, having said that rather bleak piece, there are some good things. There are more creative people now practicing pharmacy than ever before. If you can discover ways in which you can uh, initiate different revenue streams, this can actually be uh, more successful than ever. For example, uh, we have uh, started a transition of care program with the local hospital, transitioning patients from the hospital setting to a home setting eventually, sometimes uh, to an institutional care. And it's a, it's a frankly, it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, unfortunately, on congestive heart failure, the national average of all the congestive heart failure patients that are discharged, about 25% of them are, are brought back in into, into the hospital setting, irrespective of the cause. doesn't even have to be CHF. It's for any reason. With the transition of care program, there are several pharmacies in the country, several several being a figurative statement. But there are programs out there that influence that. Every time a, 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 a patient who is discharged and readmitted, there is a penalty fee having to be paid by the hospital. And it doesn't, have to, again, have to be because of the CHM. Uh, with the implementation of these programs, and there is some definitive protocols as to how to set that up, one can reduce those readmissions from uh, 25% by 40%. Does that make sense? We can reduce the, the total readmission rate by about 
those are realistic numbers. It has been done and it is being done. And we're getting ready to implement that. The profitability on that, because it's relatively new, is whatever you can negotiate for. But it can be so successful, not only for the independent pharmacist, but for the school to which he's getting students that uh, provides them an opportunity to do hands-on with patients with severe conditions, with a situation that is, uh, um, to a large measure, not controlled as well as it could be. Uh, it, it underscores the importance of the uh, uh, clinical pharmacist as an important member of the healthcare team. And so speaking of things like the Transitions of Care Clinic that you've started, um, could you describe a little bit of the other innovative things that you do at your pharmacy, especially because I know even when I walked in the first time, you have a lot of extra um, activities going on and things that are very patient-centered um, and very unique for for a pharmacy business. Okay, thank you. Sure. We have, uh, not so unique, but we do have compounded. Uh, we even try in the, in the course of the, the compounding to innovate in making new medications, customizing new medications, rather than just simply picking a recipe out of the book. We look for ways to see if we can target the area, uh, say, such as pain. We try to get uh, a formulation to which will optimize the efficacy of the preparation. We do that by interview uh, and the information we can get from the physician other than them simply writing a formula for the prescription. Um, that's been received very well. Um, for the most part, the prescribing community doesn't really have a solid handle on all the medications that are available and can be used to mitigate the individual's pain. So um, we have detailed them on our level of expertise and cite examples of things that could be considered that are maybe somewhat unconventional, such as uh, tricyclic antidepressants being used to help mitigate knee pain. And um, fortunately, we've been pretty successful. Now, when you are successful and no one else around you is doing it, then of course you can maximize a healthy profit to help offset the sometimes horrific profit or loss of uh, as is produced by the presence of the PBMs. Thank you for your answers. I think it helps students see a lot too what can be offered in a pharmacy and if they're looking to be um, an entrepreneur and start their own business, all the things that they can offer for their patients. Um, so our next question is also directed for both of you. Anyone can answer. Um, we wanted to talk about with current legislation and career opportunities, where do you think the next focus of pharmacy will be and where is it going? Um, and also, how can graduating students best prepare themselves to be innovative and prepared for this future? Shannon? Sure. So I think the, the most important focus that pharmacy should have right now is on ourselves. I think we need to do an entire rebranding of our profession. There is this common theme that is out in, in many pharmacists right now that they're disgruntled with their physicians. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because we are talking so negatively about our profession and now we are unfortunately seeing a decrease in applications to our pharmacy schools, not just University of Florida, but across the entire nation. And 
we're not the only healthcare profession that is seeing decreases in applications or other professions as well. Yeah, good point. But pharmacies, we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing it really big time. So the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, AACP, they're the one, they're the organization that represents 143 accredited pharmacy schools. They are leading a public health awareness campaign really to help rebrand our profession and really show younger folks kind of what our profession is about and really try to show the uniqueness of our profession. So most people, when you when you ask them what a pharmacist is, they will say, well, that's the pharmacist that is behind the counter and counts my pills. And even in, in schools, when we do our, our kind of show and tells, they'll say the same thing. And really, pharmacy is so much more than one particular type of person. So while we do have community pharmacists, and we have, you know, the very best community pharmacist in the whole wide world is, is sitting right next to us, <laughs> they're not just standing behind a counter. They're, they're, they're managing medications. They're, they're compounding. And folks don't realize that we have pharmacists who are doing research, who work for the CDC and in the NIH, and we have pharmacists who are doing all these really cool, amazing things, and and we need to get that word out because I think that will be a this could be a, a big problem, and I, and I foresee that it will continue to be a problem before it gets better. I think we're going to have to go through a little slump where we figure out how to really rebrand ourselves and really show how amazing and unique we are, and and then we're going to come out on the other side really amazing. I think we're going we're going to get the recognition that we've always. always wanted and and desired so for instance we're one of the few professions that gives our services away for free so we're consulting for free Um, we're volunteering to to work in a collaborative group for free and we've always done that we're out you know you think about lawyers for instance they've done it right right if you talk over five minutes that's when the charges start so for us I mean we may sit down with a patient for 30 minutes and that's just all part of our very small fee that we will get maybe a dispensing fee type of a, a reimbursement. I think those are, are excellent, excellent points, um, Dr. Miller. <laughs> no, they are. We, uh, you had asked earlier um, what other programs and such do we have here, and I just like blew over number one. I didn't even talk about it. Um, That's okay. I believe, I know, I know Dr. Miller does also, that the 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 singular most information that we have that is conveyable to the patient has to do with the pathophysiology of the issue. And then the optimal medication that would address that issue, with the target being what do we need to do to enhance the efficacy of outcomes? Number two, what can we do to reduce the risk-benefit ratio of what they are doing? That is not a 15-second answer. Mm-hmm. It takes time. And I, when I decided to unretire and come back to work, um, that was going to be the key piece uh, to my practice. To that end, we were going to do consultations. And this was back in 1999. And informed the patient of that information. Uh, and what that did do, at least in this practice, is it now positioned the information that existed about the drug therapy and the, the, the patient themselves above the vendor process. Uh, and subsequently, we were now redefining the actual uh, 
um, drug therapy and to and to how it would look. To this end, I did this in cooperation with the University of Florida College of Pharmacy, and the students would come in and sit in on the console. To that end, they would uh, hear it all and redefine and re redesign the actual medications being used for that condition with those two uh, indicators, optimal outcomes, improved safety. And uh, pretty much 90% uh, of all the care plans that we have produced, uh, there was something on there that could be improved upon. So it wasn't just uh, an act of futility, or just something to take up space. It actually improved outcomes. And uh, it also improved the vision, the visibility of what a community pharmacist can do. And um, students like it. I'm asking them specifically what they can do. And we gave them live patients to do it with, not just some stick figures on a PowerPoint presentation. And then we created a, uh, a monitoring schematic so that you could then quantify the success of those recommendations see how well they're received. It allowed you, the pharmacist, to elevate your position on the healthcare team. You became known as now the, truly, the drug expert in your healthcare team, in your healthcare community, and promoted interaction. This may sound a little funky, but I have doctors that take me out to lunch uh, to pick my brain about, uh, well, I've got a patient that's got blank, blank, blank. Um, I've got a diabetic that can't get an A1C at uh, below 6.7. You know, any ideas, any any suggestions that you may, that may yeah, come I, up I think the what, what both of you were talking about, too, like the visibility, the rebranding, um, what we need to see from pharmacy, not only as students who can see what we're capable of as pharmacists, but also, as you were saying, Dr. Miller, even those who are outside of the university, those who are our patients, those in the community where they can really start to see what all the pharmacists can offer you. And that although we do count pills, that that's not all we do, that there's a lot more that's offered to the table from the pharmacy profession. And I think the more that that is rebranded, the more that that is something that is common um, conversation within our community, um, and a lot of that will come from, I think, us as students as we start to join the profession, from those who are already in the profession, speaking with those um, who know them and telling them, like, this is what I can offer to the table. So those are all really good points. And if I may, it also, it's not inappropriate to get paid accordingly. That information that the pharmacists have given away for centuries, uh, again, I'm a third-generation pharmacist, and my grandparents didn't charge for that. My, my dad didn't. But it's real, it's appropriate, and it's substantive. If I give you something that can literally improve your quality of life, why should I not be? Uh, you see an attorney, you pay the attorney. Engineer, architect, they get a commission based upon their knowledge. Mm -hmm. And my knowledge is to enhance your quality of life. That should be just about two steps better than making sure that you change the oil in your car. <laughs> um, and even though it's unexpected to be charging for it, if you can prove to them that, wow, I've never had that kind of information before, the, the patient 
really receives it quite well. One of the things that we do to that end is <clears throat> at the beginning of the consultation, we let them know that uh, there is a charge, and at the end of the, the, the consultation, if you feel this was not worth it, you don't pay me anything. And uh, since 99, I've never had that happen. Why? Because we do the research. Because we have the students that really want to do it right. Mm -hmm. They have the time to do it right. They're not trying to make a two-second decision, such as the hospitals might have to do on a discharge summary. They have the time to maximize the, the program that they're outlining. And again, they include schematics as to how to monitor what the outcomes look like. I mean, how much better can it get? Uh, say something, don't worry. <laughs> no, those are all really great points. Um, I think what both of you have said definitely hits the nail on the head in terms of what I think conversation needs to be like for those who maybe don't know pharmacy. I know for myself, even before being a student, pharmacy was not part of my family. I didn't know many people who were pharmacists, so even coming into a curriculum where you start to really learn, you know, even myself who was interested in becoming a clinical pharmacist didn't know all that we could offer until I was within the curriculum learning what we could do. Um, so I definitely agree with the both of you. Um, so on another topic, because pharmacy is so much in your family, which is a really cool story that I think you guys have, um, I was going to ask how has the legacy of pharmacy being in your family for multiple generations um, how has that impacted the way that you practice and your passion for the field? And do you think that all pharmacists can find a passion like this, even if they are first generation and they don't necessarily have grandfather, father, now yourself being a pharmacist? So I'll start with that one. <laughs> <laughs> being a pharmacist was not in my plan when I was younger. My dad never pushed it upon me and, and, tried to get me to do something that maybe I wasn't there yet. My plan was always to be a rockette, and my plan <laughs> was always to be a pediatrician. Um, of course, I'm 5'2", and 5'2 is not uh, really work for rockettes. <laughs> and Pete's was kind of still in my brain, and I worked for my dad since I was probably like five or six years old, and I loved it here, and, and I don't know why it took me so long for it to cross my brain that that's what I wanted to do, but it did when I was a teenager. Um, my dad was sick for a while, I was in the hospital for a while, and I kind of took over the pharmacy. And then I realized, whoa, this is this is where I need to go. And it was completely on my own. Being in this environment for so long made me crave that connection that my dad was always able to build, but I didn't realize that wasn't everywhere. So his relationship with his patients is so amazing. I'll have the same patients for years and years and years, so much so that he'll go to their house at Christmas time and bring them a Christmas tree and some presents. He'll go to their house at nights or weekends to deliver medications. He would fill scripts, I remember, at 3 in the morning, run to the pharmacy if somebody was just getting out of the hospital. So that relationship building really, really was foundational for me that I didn't realize for my whole career would be kind of the cornerstone of my career. So that really sparked my passion very early for pharmacy. And I didn't realize it until I was much older and I was able to, to find something that I'm as passionate about. So I didn't realize watching my dad that he's so passionate about his career because I didn't know how other people did it um, until I was 
out and I realized how passionate I am about my career and it really stems from kind of growing up watching that passion and you've got to just feel that you have to to love that you go to work every day and you love what you do and it's going to be challenging days it's going to be very challenging days but you just love it so much I feel like for my students it's like my dream for them to find their passion and I, and I hate because some of my first year students will come to me and say, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Am I taking the right thing? Am I, am I going into the right path? What elective do I take? It's going to change my whole career, whatever class I decide right now. <laughs> and I hate that because <laughs> your passion, you don't have to take a class or, or, or learn one thing and it changes your whole passion. It kind of chooses you. It's kind of like, like Harry Potter and that whole broom. Or what, yeah, the sorting hat. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. It kind of chooses you. And, and, you know, in pharmacy, it kind of chose me. I didn't, now granted, I kind of fell into it, but it wasn't where I thought I was going to go. It just kind of chose me. And, and even in my role now, I wasn't looking for that. It just kind of fell into something that I that I love so much. So it's my dream. And I tell all of my, my students, it's like my dream that you find something that you're just in love with. And you can do that if you just keep your eyes open and, and just try to experience everything and not be kind of set in your one way. From a uh, practical perspective, Pharmacy for years, decades, uh, was pretty much a, a, a high-paying job. Uh, it was a long time where graduating pharmacy students were the highest-paid professional first at a school. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Uh, and in that period, there were many that uh, were attracted uh, to go into the professions simply because of the money. Um, I'm not going to be judgmental on that, but that not did not necessarily allow the profession itself to grow. That we assumed this vendor role and were okay with it being with, with, within the context of guardrails of the company that was hiring you. And I think it caused some stagnation into where the profession itself was going and where, where do you want to go? What is it that you want to do? I remember when I was an intern, then um, my grandmother was still alive, and I was in my dad's pharmacy, and I was explaining to a patient what a, a medication was used for, and both of them, less my father, mostly my grandmother, kind of um, uh, accosted me by saying, hey, you don't tell them that. And I go, what? Why? Oh, that's up to the physician. You're kind of invading in on their on their uh, domain, and I said, "No, I'm not. I know more about drugs than they do." Uh, you know, and you can actually prove that. How many how many courses in pharmacology or pharmacology related issues do they have? Not that many, unless you chose to go into a specialty. To do that today is insane, and it's really the informational base that you have that really defines the outcomes. And how well do you convey that back to your patient? So more skill is required today, more, more ingenuity on the part of the student has to replace that um, um, sitting back in the pharmacy and just filling 200 prescriptions a day with almost no intervention to, uh, within the context of the patient relationship. Um, there are ways to make money, but if you're just going to sit back on a stool 
open up a pharmacy and expect to make a six-figure income, that's not going to happen anymore. That's not the case. But can you be um, um, successful? Oh, clearly. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the conventional role has to change. The part that we are conveyors of information rather than simply vendors of drugs is really where we need to be. And what do you, so what do you think you would say for students who maybe, like they are interested in that passion, they're interested in finding the part of pharmacy that like really sparks the fire for them? Because I think, and even talking to you both and talking to other pharmacists that I've seen that do love their job and they really love to take care of their patients um, and they, they have found that passion. What would you say is like, I guess, the next best step for a student who's saying, you know, I'm in school, but I just can't find like what that is yet. And I'm not sure if I will. Like, is it something where you think you just kind of need to go day by day and like keep exposing yourself to different activities and, and hoping that you will? Or what would be, I guess, like your best suggestion? So I would say that. I would say that, you know, continually exposing yourself. So we, we're so lucky in these numerous student organizations that we have on campus that you can get exposed to a lot of different types of um volunteer opportunities where you can see what it's like to be different types of pharmacists. And we have all kinds of great speakers that come in. For me, I did not realize what I wanted to do until my rotations. And I feel like your rotations really just opens your eyes to all that is out there. So I would tell the student, yeah, keep exposing yourself. Keep seeing what different avenues are like. Keep listening to speakers that are a pediatric pharmacist, a consultant pharmacist, a nuclear pharmacist. Keep listening to what those those pathways are because you may end up liking that pathway and then just really enjoy your rotations and try to just take it all in putting your very best foot forward on every single rotation even if it's boring and you don't love that type of a feel because for one pharmacy is a small world and you'll end up that'll end up biting you if you if you <laughs> don't do that but you know keeping your eyes open so for me I did not love my geriatric rotation I thought it was it, it, I was like, well, geriatrics, it wasn't that it was a bad rotation. I just didn't love geriatrics. And now you, you know, you probably laugh now because that's my... I was going to say, anybody who knows you from the University of Florida... <laughs> knows that I love, love, love geriatrics. So, I, you know, that kind of percolated in the back of my mind, the geriatric patient population. I obviously went to ambulatory care, which is very heavy in geriatrics. And it just kind of started growing on me that that's really, that was really an avenue that I love. So my plan all along was always to work in my dad's pharmacy. And, you know, my ambulatory care rotation came apart, came about, and it was like, oh my gosh, I am so in love, in love, in love, in love with that rotation. And really my dad kind of set me up for it, even though he didn't realize it, <laughs> because ambulatory care is all about connecting with patients, connecting with colleagues, and really being the med expert and having a huge impact in their lives. And so when a doc's like, hey, I got this patient, what are you going to do? And the patient is so happy. And then you get to keep following that patient. So you get to continue that relationship. Well, that was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Best day ever. And that was <laughs> never my plan. So I tell students, just keep an open mind. You may have no desire in pediatrics or geriatrics or women's health or anything. And then just keep your mind open because you're going to be in that spot and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I would love this so much. Like speaking, for instance, I hate public speaking. I hated it in school. I thought it was like the worst thing ever. I never wanted to stand up. But you just kind of keep an open mind and 
no, I didn't think I would ever love teaching. And it's just, I'm glad that I was. Yeah, I'd like to make a correction to that. You're the best teacher I ever. <laughs> the very, very best. I love to watch her. Not even biased. And um, she, uh, she's just, just an amazing pharmacist. And all of those points are very germane that you that you pick up uh, the um, taking care of the patient. And to my mind, the rebranding as you as you have brought it up, I think that's key. We have to get out from under that traditional, conventional role of just thinking we put bottles from or pills from this bottle into that bottle and then that's it. It's not it. It never should have been. Uh, it is a function, and it's a very important function, and it has to be very, very accurate, um, clearly. But my goodness, it's the information about that medication, as it specifically refers to you, the patient, that really defines its outcome as to whether or not it's going to be successful. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, so I think we have time for one more question. I'll direct it back towards Dr. Cardi. And I think you spoke a little bit about this earlier, but I was going to ask in, in becoming a pharmacist and, and having your own business um, and the way that you have this counseling set up for your patients um, kind of in a separate area and they can come to you for different counseling on pain management and other disease states. Did you always have this plan to have this kind of extra service in mind for your pharmacy? Was it already set up or was it something that kind of just came about? For your business. It was actually my daughter that uh, changed all of that. This is why you're the best dynamic duo. <laughs> uh, we've had such a unique, I think, and and successful relationship of my daughter and I. She's just the apple of my eye. Um, that after we had a tragedy, I did not want to do anything. I didn't want to practice pharmacy. I just wanted to sleep in bed. And she got into the house and told me, Daddy, this is not what Tiffany wants for you. And um, what you need is some passion back in your life. And I said, Shannon, I don't want to see a woman. And he goes, no, that's not your passion, Dad. Your passion is your profession. And you have metaphorically always been in the, the front of the parade, and Dad, in all, all candor, you're not anymore. In order for that to happen, you're going to need to go back and get your farm gig. And having never been able to say no to my daughter, uh, ever, I, uh, okay, I'll go back to college. Now I'm 48 years old and I'm going back to college. And then I'm starting to think, how is that going to work? And as it turned out, Shannon was right on. And she said, this is where, Dad, your passion has been kind of covered up by a lot of stuff. But what you do best is when you interface with a patient. And there are now ways, once you get uh, this PharmD degree, that you'll be able to do it better than you've ever done it before. And I'm guessing nobody will ever do it better. Because she's my daughter, that's what she's <laughs> supposed to say. But she was right. She was absolutely right. I did it. And I asked my instructors, hey, my teacher's on my daughter's age. Um, can I do this? And they said, yeah, you know, it speaks very highly of you, you're going to do fine. And, boy, it was absolutely the way to do it. Uh, so I was very fortunate to have that intervention. 
I never did feel that the vendor role was the preeminent role in practice. Never. Even before I had any of these ideas. I thought, number one, let me sell you me. So that you can see that I'm really, I'm really looking for you to have an improvement in something. Mm-hmm. That it was to your benefit to know Doctor. It wasn't Doctor Riccardi then. It was Mister Riccardi uh, in your your level of care, and um, it, it completely turned around how I perceived pharmacy, and that turn is still going. Uh, the the metamorphosis is still incomplete, fully complete, and the importance of the pharmacist to elevate his his uh, visibility to all the the healthcare practitioners, to agencies, to places that uh, simply where people go into your church, into your school system, the the importance of having you, the clinical pharmacist, in their circle. And I think, I like what you said, too, about showing your patients kind of the distance that you're willing to go for them, that you're invested. And I think, too, even when you're speaking about Dr. Miller and her her presence in that situation of kind of helping you to refine that passion, I think it's so important, too, that not only are we invested in our patients, but, too, that you always know that you have people who are invested in you, as the professional, I think, because that will make you better. Like even in that situation, how you helped him to kind of uncover even that further passion that maybe hadn't been there before or something new can come of it and it creates a better situation. So definitely, definitely like all those points. We have uh, students that, that come to the practice. Uh, and then I, uh, what do they call it? Preceptor? Preceptor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for quite some time. And oftentimes they'll ask me that same question. You know, I, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Where do I go from here? Or, yeah, I like this. How do I get one? You know, what do I do to do that? And I, I tell them, I, I take them out to lunch, and I say, if, if God was to join us here for lunch, and he said to you, you tell me how you would like to work your profession, ideally, if you could have it any way that you wanted it, truly. Tell, tell me what it would be. And then I ask that question. I repeat it, and I say, okay, Shannon, what do you see as your setting, your work setting? Where are you? Are you inside, outside? Are you teaching? Which is the best teacher I know. <laughs> what, what, what is your setting? And they start to, to crystallize that idea. And then what... How do you dress? And what does your office look like? Do you have an office? Or is there a front? What, is, what does that all look like? And it begins to actually create a picture. And, they, and, and it allows them to get some direction as to where their passion would like to bring them. And I said, and it's your passion that will allow you to survive going through potholes as you're trying to get there. The passion will keep you. Ooh, that reminds me of a quote that I wanted to, to, to say. So both my father and I have had challenges in our profession. And so I want to reiterate that you will have challenges. And probably not one challenge, you're probably at multiple challenges. And so there's a really cool quote from Randy Pausch um, that I wanted to read you. It says, brick walls are there for a reason. The brick walls are not to keep us out. 
They're there to give us a chance to show how badly we want something. Walls are there to stop people who don't want it badly enough. And that's the other people. <laughs> I like that. I love that quote. Yeah, I like that too. That's awesome. Thank um, you for the opportunity to do this. Yeah, thank you so much. I think I think people will get a lot from the wisdom that you both share um, about your careers and everything that goes into pharmacy. And I think what I learned the most talking to the both of you as well is that pharmacy is not just a topic, but it is the people behind it. It's the people in the lab coats um, and that you guys are living, breathing humans that have this passion and these dreams um, and this really great desire to help those around you, um, to help their quality of life and to be great professionals. So thank you for your time today and thanks for joining us on the podcast. So any last words for today's episode? Thank you so much for having us. That was really, really amazing. Yes, thank you. Right. I think your mother. questions were excellent. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. If you enjoyed our episode today, please be sure to subscribe and look out for new episodes. Until next time.